Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we, we were kind of taking a break on Wednesday night <coughs> from Job for a few weeks, and I've been kind of working through the book of Philippians in different sections, and so I uh, had another one I wanted to share tonight with you uh, from Philippians chapter 1. Uh, the church at Philippi was a strong church. It was a faithful church, fruitful church. Uh, but Paul did not want them to become apathetic and unproductive. And that's really something that is always heavy on my heart. Uh, we, we, uh, if the church is doing well and things are going forward, and which I feel that's happening here, uh, and uh, we see people joining and coming and visiting and all those things and seeing people saved and baptized is uh, always a blessing. Uh, it's easy sometimes for us to become apathetic or to coast. And we don't ever want to coast. We don't ever want to stop being hungry, you know. And uh, the Christian life throughout Scripture is always referred to as a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're constantly wanting to be dissatisfied with what we have moving on to the next level in our Christian life. And, of course, as a pastor, that's always my goal for the local church as well, uh, always reaching more uh, heights and reaching more people. In these verses that we're going to read tonight, Paul challenges these believers with some spiritual goals. Every time Paul returns to them or hears from them, he desires to find them in a closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, accomplishing greater ministry, greater works for the Lord and for God's glory. And so that's the goal, really, I think, of every uh, pastor and church planter and missionary that, that is uh, like, like Paul that was instrumental in starting this work, and now he wants to see them grow. Uh, setting goals in our lives spiritually is important if we're going to accomplish something from God. It's not just going to happen. Uh, success of any type does not fall out of the sky into our laps, nor does it do that spiritually. It takes work. It takes diligence. Uh, I forget who it was that made the statement. Uh, I don't know. It might have even been Bill Gates. I'm not sure that it takes uh, 25 years to be an overnight success. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Sometimes we look at somebody and we think uh, they just quickly got successful, not realizing all the work that went into it. Uh, so we talk about growth a lot, especially this year, as we have that as our theme. But be, growth is not possible without setting some goals and setting some things for us to work toward. It's vital, though, that the goals in our personal life, our church and our families and all those things are what God wants, not our own agenda. Amen? I think we'd all agree with that. If we want to set goals uh, for our church, then we want that to be on God's agenda, not on our agenda. Now, the model prayer of Jesus along this line, I believe, is those words he spoke in Matthew 26, 39, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for the deacons that we have and have had throughout the years uh, here, and when we meet and discuss things, especially if we're going to propose something to the church, uh, we don't, of course, it's always wise to look at the affordability of things and the best route of things, but the primary goal we're always seeking is this what God wants us to do. And if God wants us to do something, then we do it, amen? Whether we see it as a feasible thing or not. Because sometimes God asks us to do something that requires a little faith. And so we're seeking God's will, uh, not only our own agenda. Uh, the choice is then not to have uh, goals, simply to have goals, but rather whose goals we have. And for that, we want to always go to Scripture. Romans six sixteen. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, every child of God's goal 
ought to be to become less like the world, less attached to the world, and more centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and on God's will. Romans 12.2 says it well. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like that word, how it ends up there, that perfect will of God. God's will for our life, for our church, is perfect. And yet, we constantly try to improve on it. <laughs> Notice that? We try to improve on His plan when His plan is perfect. Why mess with a perfect plan? Our ways are not perfect. <coughs> uh, Proverbs 14.12, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so, our ways are not perfect. Why then would we choose imperfect ways to follow? And that we need to make those wise choices. Now let's read here, and I'm going to actually read less verses than we'll look at. We'll kind of go through more as we, as we follow through this book. But starting at verse number 6 of chapter 1. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I, I love that verse. I love that verse. <coughs> because that is a good confidence, isn't it? That What's the children's song? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Uh, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars and other things, and he's still working on me. Amen. And so we know that uh, he's not finished. He, we are confident that he which has begun that work will perform it. Okay, verse 7. Even as it is meet or appropriate for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in, my, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled <coughs> with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would that you should understand, brethren, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. We're going to talk about this more, but it's hard for me not to mention it right here. Uh, what an attitude. What an attitude. To be able to say, yes, bad things have happened to me, but it's been good for the gospel. What if something is bad for you and good for the gospel? Are you willing to accept it? Paul was. That's what he said here in verse number 12. So that, verse 13, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace, in all other places. Uh, people from high places and low places were observing Paul and benefiting from his testimony. And what a blessing to see that. Thank you, Lord, for this text. I pray that you'd help us as we look at even more verses too. May we uh, be challenged from your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. An inspirational goal is what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, have you ever asked a child what they wanted to be when they grow up? Or do you remember when you were little? And people, ask, people ask me that all the time. What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I had all kinds of ideas. Uh, after, after about age 12, I said preacher. Every time I'm going to be a preacher, I'm going to be a preacher because that's what I knew I was going to do. Um, but when I was little, there was all kinds of different plans. In fact, if you held every child to their original plan, all we'd have is policemen, firemen, nurses, maybe a few veterinarians, all right? That's what kids usually are pointed toward. But uh, I was 16 when I surrendered my life to do whatever God wanted me to do. I knew it would involve preaching in some way, but 
I uh, didn't. I had no idea what God had in store for me, and what a blessing uh, that has been. Uh, but there's a so so that's the specific will I believe for my life is to be a pastor. But there is also a general will for every one of us. That is uh, that is across the board that we all need to be involved in. Uh, Revelation chapter four verse eleven: Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. That is what our purpose is, to bring glory to God. He has created us, and it is His desire that our lives bring glory to Him. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatsoever therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now that sounds very self-serving from the Creator's perspective. However, it's a wonderful truth from the Bible that His glory and our good are synonymous. If we're living for His glory, it is also to our good. Uh, the Lord is, uh, 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 forget that verse in the Old Testament that, uh, that says His looks toward us with only good. Anything less than the perfect will of God for our life will fall short of His goal for us. Now, Epaphras prayed in Colossians 4.12 that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. That ought to be our daily goal that we are right where God wants us, we're doing what God wants us to do, we're being faithful and serving Him in every area that He wants us to, and uh, as He put it, perfect and complete in the will of God. Can you say that about your life? And if you can, what a blessing. Uh, continue in that and then set some of these goals. Let's look at a couple of them. Number one, I want to look at an approved excellence. Look at verse number six. Being confident of this very thing that He which hath begun a good work and you will perfect it, or perform it, I'm sorry, until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, even as it was meet for me to think of you in this all, because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my bonds and my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. Look at verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. What a goal. That you may approve things that are excellent. How often do we settle for the mediocre in our lives? Excellence often gets reduced to acceptable. Then the acceptable is lessened to adequate. And then before we know it, we're just one step above mediocre. I don't know about you, friend, but I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be excellent. I want to reach for a higher purpose than just, just regular or just normal or just average. The enemy of great is good enough. And when we accept good enough, we will never be great. The researcher Natalie Gable Collin wrote a column on this, and she said that if 99.9% were enough, among other things, here's a few things, this year 12 babies would be given to the wrong parents in our hospitals. 291 pacemaker operations would be performed incorrectly. 20,000 drug prescriptions would be incorrectly given. 99.9% is not good enough, is it? We want 100%. Now, I know mistakes happen, but I don't know about you, but if I receive a pacemaker, I'd kind of like it from a doctor who seeks the excellence level, not the mediocre level, amen? And so how much more does our God deserve the very best of us? If we expect above mediocre, if we expect excellence from those who do for us, how much more should we do the same for God? Isaac Disraeli said this, it is a wretched taste, to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. 
And so we ought to have that as one of our goals. We serve, according to verse number 6, a consistent God, being confident of this very thing, who which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a postmodern time in its thinking. Truth has been declared relative. There are no absolutes. What's right for you is, may not be right for me, and vice versa. As long as we believe it to be true, then it can be true for us. That type of thinking, uh, the removal of absolute truth and, and these type of things, that shows us why our society is in a decline as it is. Boy, have you, have you seen the reaction to our Supreme Court's decision to uphold a little righteousness for once? I mean, that's obviously biblically, morally, society, everything... Uh, no one can argue has a sane mind that that is the right decision to make, and yet people have just went completely insane over it. Uh, that's because we are not dealing with moral absolutes. We're not dealing with right and wrong. We're dealing with, with relativism and, and what people want for themselves. Paul warned Timothy of this in 2 Timothy 4, verse number 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Are we there yet? Amen to that. People do not like sound doctrine. But after that, <coughs> their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. People don't want the truth. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people today, they don't like just the raw truth from the Word of God. Uh, it sometimes stings us a little bit when we hear the truth. Of course, the, 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 the goal is to eliminate the, ab, the ultimate absolute, which is God Himself. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Boy, that again talks of our society today. Worshipping the creature more than the Creator. In a day when you can get a prison sentence for messing with one eagle egg, but kill a baby, uh, that's, that's worshiping the creation more than the creator. And uh, we could go a whole list of different things. But if man can eliminate, eliminate God, words are hard when you're in front of people. If a man can eliminate God, then he eliminates his accountability to God. If he allows himself to be his own God, then he can live however he pleases. Because it's much easier, don't miss this statement here, it's much easier to stop believing in God than it is to stop sinning. See, the Bible teaches us and tries to get us to stop sinning. So what does man do? Let's just wipe him out completely. He doesn't exist. And let's just remove him as a possibility. Uh, Nietzsche, that famous atheist, said, truth and value are on a sliding scale with no absolute standard. The philosopher of Absolute truth is prejudiced by the proposition that there are opposites like truth and false, good and evil. That these things don't exist. The truth is we don't live our lives on a sliding scale, like Mr. Nietzsche says. Uh, we do have an absolute standard. I choose to believe in a God who declares in Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. And what He has said and declared to be wrong is wrong Yesterday, it's wrong today, and it will continue to be wrong. Uh, while politics, morals, religions, ethics are constantly changing, God remains the same. 
We still believe in Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. In Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heaven are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, but thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. We serve a consistent God. And when we have that promise in verse number 6, that he that has begun a good work in you shall perform it, that's a rock-solid promise right there. Because we serve a very consistent God. What a blessing. And then secondly, we strive for continuous growth. Look at verse number 7. Even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in so much as both in my bonds and my defense, the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you, uh, you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He desires that we grow, or as it is put here, in verse 9, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. That's growing, abounding more and more, getting more love than we had. Between what God performs for us at salvation and what He will finish for us in our sanctification, He wants us to abound more and more. Or, as we put it, grow. We need to constantly be growing. I hope that you're tracking this and I hope that you're making an effort in your own personal life. I have to, because uh, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough, I guess. I have to put it on paper. So I have a, a journal I keep every day and I write, in a, I write every day some things and, and I have a section, my goals for this week, uh, my, uh, uh, my to-do list for this week, the thing that I want to most accomplish this week. And then at the end of the week, I have the uh, recap where I look back and see that did I... Did I do good? Did I fail? And many times I have to uh, acknowledge that I failed, but I'm going to try better next week. I have one little box in the, in the uh, journal there that says how I'll do better next week. And that always, I always have something to write in that box because I always feel some failure in this week. And so, uh, you know, we're going to fail. We're not going to do everything we want. But are you doing something to track your growth, to see and to encourage your own self to get further along in your Christian life than you were a year ago, a month ago, a week ago. We ought to constantly be looking for growth and we ought to desire it. In 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As a teenager, I remember when I was about 16, uh, I had heard all growing up as a teenager that, yeah, one day you'll get a growth spurt. I'm 48 years old. I'm still waiting for my growth spurt. Uh, but I finally, about 16, I thought, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I was already taller than mom and dad, which is not saying much. Uh, and then I just figured it wouldn't happen. I, I, I read in a book, I probably Ripley, believe it or not, knowing myself, but uh, read in some book that you could stretch yourself and it would help you grow a little bit. And so, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, and I actually, I hung, I put some weights on my feet and I would have this bar in my garage I'd hang and just, just grow a little bit, you know. Help me out just a little bit. And I, I found what Jesus said to be very true. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? That's a rhetorical question. It's not going to happen. You can worry and fret and wish and do everything you want. Eat vitamins, chew roots, do whatever you want to do. You're not going to grow further than what God's, what God's designed for you to grow. Uh, I learned, <coughs> unfortunately, a simple desire to grow physically is not going to help. Um, 
I am actually growing today. It's just out instead of up. Amen. But, uh, however, spiritually, the desire to grow is the starting place for us. We can always grow spiritually. We can't always grow physically. But we can always grow spiritually. First Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. <clears throat> What's he talking about, the milk of the word? Right here. And then we move from milk to weightier matters and, and, and actually chew on meat. What is, what is milk? Well, Psalms, Proverbs. You know, what is meat? Well, you get into a little bit deeper things like uh, the Pauline epistles and the Pentateuch and those different things. You dig a little deeper and, and uh, learn more. The great thing about the Bible is, <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Uh, I think I could preach for a thousand years out of this book and never, never exhaust it. Uh, because there's just always so much more. And the more, you, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. And uh, that's something that we see in the Word of God. Read the Word of God then. Listen to preaching. Read good books. <clears throat> just like your body will become anorexic without food. Your spiritual, your spirit will become anorexic without spiritual food. And so we need to constantly be uh, taking care of that. We seek a heavenly goal. Look at verse number 10 that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. Becoming like Christ, as we talked about this morning, is absolutely impossible <coughs> without His help. 2 Corinthians 3.5 Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And the way we illustrated this morning with the, with the, the uh, power strip plugged into itself, it's not going to work that way. You've got, we've got to plug in to the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Lord. We are not sufficient as of ourselves uh, to do that. And so uh, we have to always uh, be after Christ's help there. Our ultimate goal is to be like Christ. Acts 11.26, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What a compliment, even though it was not meant as a compliment. That is a great compliment. That word means little Christs. We are to be like Him. We carry His name. Early followers of Christ were, uh, were called Christ-like by those that were observing their lives. So let me ask you, when people observe your life, do they see a little Christ? Do they see a Christian uh, in the way that you live? Our flesh certainly does not want to react like Christ. It's easy to get, as we call it, in the flesh. Sometimes we joke about it, but it's not really a funny thing when we react to things in the flesh, especially not around lost people. But God, through His Word, can change us <coughs> to become like Him. So I would like for you to ask yourself, even tonight, in what area of your life do you need to be a partaker of the divine nature, even tonight. What area are you lacking? So what areas are there? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We've been talking about them Sunday mornings. All these different things. Uh, we need to be... I, I know, as I looked at those, and by the way, uh, there's, there's nobody here, I doubt, that was more convicted by those uh, messages than I was putting together, because I'm lacking in those areas, and I want more of that but there's some that I need more of than others. It's relatively easy for me to love people. I've always loved people. Uh, they, it's, it's, it comes pretty easy to me. So love is something that 
um, I'm constantly, you know, you, you have to love those that hate you. You have to love those that despitefully use you as well. And that's not always as easy, but uh, that's something that I don't struggle with as much as uh, other areas. And so there's different areas. You were waiting for me to tell you where I struggled, didn't you? Well, I'm not going to say that. That's between me and the Lord. Amen. But uh, we have different areas of those where it is harder. And uh, so we need to become partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter 1.4 whereby are ye given unto us exceeding and great promises that by these ye might become partakers of the divine nature. Hey, that's good stuff, friend. We can be a part of the divine nature of God. We can be partaker of that. God is love, 1 John. All throughout the book talks about that. We want to be more loving. God is love. Become a partaker of His nature. Uh, Jesus Christ, meekest man on earth. We want to be meek. Become part of His uh, we can become a partaker of His divine nature. That's a great promise we have in Scripture. That's an approved excellence. Our second point is an appointed experience. Look at verse number 12. But I would have you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it's comforting to know that God is in control of our lives from the very beginning at salvation to the, every step in between that until we go home to glory. Love is the principle. Uh, Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And, uh, excuse me. A sneeze coming on here. <laughs> and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. I love that principle there. That uh, as we allow ourselves to be, uh, our steps to be ordered by the Lord, and we, then we delight in that way. The destinations of our life are ordered. Every step in that destination is part of God's loving and carefully constructed plan. Uh, things happen to us. Uh, circumstances beyond our control all a part of God's plan for us. He's never made a mistake. Can you imagine that? God has never made a mistake. And here's the truth of the matter. He's not going to start with you. He's not going to start with me. I'm not the first life that finally found a mistake, God. You did this wrong. A lot of people have thought that. Nobody's ever been correct. What a blessing. So, the question I ask you tonight, are you willing to take from God's hand anything He chooses to give you? That's a tough question. We can all say yes, by the way, sitting comfortably on a Sunday night and everything's going just fine. But are we willing? Can you look up into the eyes of the Lord in love, even thanksgiving, knowing that whatever He gives you, no matter how delightful it is or how painful it is, it's perfect. His will is perfect because that's what He has given to you. That takes some faith for us to have that trust in the Lord. Paul's troubles here, we see, produced a bigger influence. <clears throat> Verse number 12, where he says that, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out into the furtherance of the gospel. What a tremendously spiritually mature thing to recognize. Now, everyone in here, all of us, <coughs> enjoy the mountaintop experiences of the Christian life. Amen? I mean, we like... Like Easter. Man, I am so pumped after Easter service every every year. I just love Easter Sunday. 
people look nice, they got their best on, they, they are, they're just, everybody's got a good attitude on Easter. We always have an uplifting message about the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. It's often our, our uh, most well-attended uh, service many times. And uh, that's a mountaintop experience. And I love mountaintop experiences. But nothing grows on top of a mountain. It's usually just a bunch of rock, snow. Fred Beck says that the brook would lose its song if you remove the rocks. And we would often lose our song if the rocks are gone, the trouble's gone. The struggle that you're in today is developing the strength you need for tomorrow. Your trials are always God-filtered. Think about that. Everything that comes into your life has to first pass through the filter of God's allowance. He's allowing this to come. But the Apostle Paul, you know, he doesn't mention the list here, but if you go to 2 Corinthians 11, you can find a whole list of things that happened to the Apostle Paul. And uh, he lists some of the bad things. But he came to the realization that problems are opportunities in work clothes. <clears throat> and by the time Paul writes the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's actually rejoicing in those problems. He said, verse 9 of chapter 12, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, again, put yourself in Paul's place. Getting that answer from God, ugh. I don't really want to hear that. I want to kind of hear when the moment of deliverance is. But what was Paul's reaction to that? Take this away, Lord, please take this away. Three times he says, take this away. God says, no, you're going to hang on to it. But I got good news. My grace is sufficient for thee. What did Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. What an attitude to have. Again, are we willing to go through hurtful times, negative things, bad circumstances, if it brings him glory? Paul was. Paul said, I'm glad to suffer if it brings him glory. Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's a very spiritually mature thing. It was through the troubles that Paul's faith grew. It was through the troubles that his power was magnified. It was through the troubles that his ministry flourished. Every irritation in our life is an invitation to elevation. And we need to just look at it that way instead of griping about it. Also, Paul's trials produced a broader impact. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Trials often bring about great impact. No one would choose for their little girl to be born deaf. But that was how the Bill Rice Ranch was born. I don't know if you know the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee. I worked there for three summers. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been saved in uh, going to that camp uh, since the 1960s, I think it was because their little girl was born deaf, and so they started a deaf camp, which turned into a whole full-on youth and, and uh, junior camp, too. No one would choose to get cancer and lose their eye. That's how Patch the Pirate got launched. Uh, he lost his eye to cancer. How many people have been affected through the ministry of Ron Hamilton? I grew up on Ron Hamilton. Most kids in my generation did, Christian kids in my generation. Uh, many thousands of people impacted no one would choose to go through life crippled, unable to walk straight, but I believe with all my heart 
that that's what led to my dad's salvation, the fact that he had what he had in his life. If you find a path without obstacles, it's probably not going to lead anywhere. I remember when I was a youngster, uh, my dad, because of his condition, polio, he didn't hunt or anything like that. I liked to hunt, and I would go rabbit hunting a lot in my, on our farm. And uh, I was talking to our neighbor, was an old bachelor, and he did a lot of hunting. And, and uh, he would always, he'd go rabbit hunting, and he'd come home with three or four or five or six rabbits. And I'd go out for hours and sometimes find none. And, of course, I had nobody really to teach me. Uh, how to do it, and so I asked him one time if I could go with him, and that was the most unpleasant rabbit hunt I've ever been in my life, because the woods were full of nice paths and lanes, and and uh, that you could go through fields that didn't have obstacles. He dragged me through the brushiest, hardest to pass through areas and difficult. I mean, I was scratched up. You know what we did? We found some rabbits, and uh, I found out that you go the easy path, you're not always going to find what you want. That's the way it is through life as well. Your life will have obstacles. It will have trials. It will have trouble. Let God use those things in your life, like Paul did, to broaden your impact. That's a blessing. And then look at Paul's testimony, verse number 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what people were saying, preachers in Paul's time? You know what? If Paul can do it, I can do it. Paul was faithful. How can I not preach straight if Paul did it and he's in prison? And it made people do the right thing because Paul, uh, his testimony. Our lives are the only Bible that some people read. 2 Corinthians 3, 2. Ye are our epistle written on uh, in our hearts, known and read of all men. It is often through trials that people watch us more closely. When we handle trials successfully, they become more confident in their walk with God. That's why one of my favorite statements, your best sermon is you in the valley. And if you, uh, what the sermon you preach when you're in the valley is the most effective one because people watch those things and, and uh, then we can encourage others to be faithful as well. By God's grace, the troubles and trials you're going through can have a bigger influence. They can have a broader impact and they can provide a bolder testimony for the Lord. So we had an approved excellence. We had an appointed experience. Then finally, an apparent expediency. Look at verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What's going on here? Sometimes, when God is at work, some will try to take advantage of the situation for their own benefit. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But it goes back to that time-worn principle, people are people, or folks are folks. That's my first pastor I ever served under. I remember I had a little bit of an issue with one of my youth activities and had a little conflict go on and uh, he sat me on, we were talking about it, and he says, one thing you always got to remember in ministry, folks are folks. Pe- people are going to people. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but we do, because we're not perfect, and so we're going to have bad attitudes once in a while. We're going to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing. And uh, so some people do this, and Paul talks about what's happening here. There's a grieving over an improper motive now, it's interesting here, 
Some, in, in, indeed, verse 15, preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. That word goodwill is the same word used in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That was announcing the birth of Christ. Paul described his passion for the salvation of the Jews with the same word when he said, brother, my heart's desire, that word desire comes from the same original word as goodwill, and prayer to God of Israel is that they might be saved, Romans 10.1. To preach the gospel out of goodwill then is to preach it with a sincere desire for the good of others. Verse 15 refers not only to the desire to see, one, uh, to see people saved, but there was a desire to bless Paul's heart and to encourage him. But not all preachers were motivated by these desires. Some preached Christ out of envy. Can you believe that? That preachers would preach out of envy of another preacher? Got news for you, that happens all the time still today. And uh, they were jealous of Paul, envious of his success and resentful of his influence. And so it said they were preaching out of strife. That word translated strife is factious rivalry. We still see factious rivalry today. It's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. We can say the right words, we can pray the right prayers, preach the right sermons, sing the right songs, give the right testimonies, and do it with the wrong motive. Paul reminds us that we are to be the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will to serve us as unto the Lord and not to man, Ephesians 6, 6-7. Why do we attend church on a Sunday night? Why do we come and sing specials and play the instruments and teach a class and work in VBS? Go to camp. Why do we go to camp? That's a good question. Go soul winning. We need to have the right motive. Amen. Not to build a kingdom, not to uh, press on a personal agenda, but to bring glory and honor to the Lord. But here's the interesting thing. I love this attitude about Paul. Look at verse 18. So Paul's just said, there's some that are preaching out of goodwill. They mean me well. They mean, <coughs> they mean the, their uh, audiences well. But then there's some that are preaching out of a factious rivalry. They're preaching to try to hurt me. Look at what he says in verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Whew. That's a great statement. Paul says, you know what? I don't care if they don't like me. If they're preaching the truth, I'm grateful. And that's, a, that's again, we're, to, we're, we're seeing in this passage tremendous spiritual maturity. You know how you get spiritual maturity? Growth. You grow into it. Not something that just happens. So he was grateful for the message. Well, while God sees the heart and knows the motive, we cannot. Paul knew, and he mentioned it, that some were preaching for the wrong reasons, but he rejoiced that Christ was being preached. Can I tell you tonight, friends, I really believe this with all my heart. We don't have time to mess around trying to figure out the motives of every person that's serving the Lord, whether it be in our church or other preachers or other ministries. God will sort all that out. Oh, we can put confidence in God that He'll use His Word to accomplish His purpose. All we can do, all you can do, and all I can do is to make sure our motive is right. I can't do anything about the motive of... I was going to say His name, but He's preaching all over Facebook all the time and, and uh, used to be an independent Baptist. has changed now is going off way off the deep end. And I, you know, I always 
see some of those clips and he's kind of going crazier and crazier all the time. Uh, I don't have time to figure out what his motive is. It doesn't do me any good anyway. I do have time to figure out what my motive is, amen? And I, can cha- I can't change anyone else, but I can change me. The only person in the world that you can change is you. And you'll be frustrated and you'll, be, uh, you'll eventually end up in bitterness if you try to change somebody else. It's just not going to happen. We have an impeccable message, one that cannot fail. And Paul said, look, I don't care what they think of me. If they're preaching the gospel, more power to them. Happy. He was happy they did it. Isaiah 34, 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. This will never fail. Uh, and so let's, uh, let's put our faith in that. All right, we're going to end there. I want to just mention a couple of things. Verse 19 and 20. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And the supply of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, verse twenty, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. What a goal! That everything that I do, even in death, He's glorified, He's magnified. What a goal that Paul had, <coughs> and this is a it, we, we've got to keep. Our eye, as Paul, Paul was very good at keeping his eye on the goal. He always did, he always did that. He talked about reaching forth to those things which are ahead, putting, putting uh, away those things which are behind. He talks about running the race. Uh, he always is talking about having that goal in front of him. And this was his goal. He talked in Acts 20 about not, not counting his life dear to himself, but he might finish his course with joy. Always talked about that goal. Look at verse 19. I want to look at those two resources that he valued so much. By the way, if you had two wishes in your Christian life, what would they be? Look at these two here, verse 19. Your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If you, if you have two wishes, that should be it right there. Prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, prayer and the Holy Spirit. You put those two together in your life and you'll see amazing results. Imagine buying a brand new car parking it in the garage, throwing away the keys and never using it. It would be a waste, wouldn't it? It would be foolish, but that's what Christians do when they accept Christ as their Savior and then never pray. They never use the power. They never uh, take advantage of the great uh, benefit of being a Christian. We have the power within us because of who is within us to accomplish great things. But without the Holy Spirit, uh, we uh, will be going nowhere. So, uh, those are some thoughts that I want to leave you with tonight. And uh, those are some, maybe, maybe you caught something to be a help to you, I hope so. But uh, great goals that Paul had. We need to have these goals in our life as well. And uh, that will help us. Amen. We thank you, Father, for this passage and more that could be said. But we pray that you would help us to take these things and apply them to our life. Lord, may we use them to be better servants of you. And may you be glorified through our life. Even when it's bad, sometimes we want to have the right attitudes through it. And above all, we want to grow. Help us to have a burning desire to grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.